Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered ChumbaCasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over a hundred casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey there, fellow travelers. Welcome to the Tolkien Road, episode 328. In this episode, we'll be exploring the foundation of the Grey Havens and of Lindon in year one of the Second Age. Before I get started, I'd like to give a double up air five to our amazing fellowship. Stick them up. Three, two, one. Whoopsht. Special thanks to this episode's executive producers, John R., Caitlin of Tea with Tolkien, Jacob Lockham, John H., and Eru27. Also, a shout out to those celebrating their fellowship anniversary in February of 2023. Ish of the Hammer, Jacob Lockham, Robert H., Azia V., Eric B., John R., Andrew M., Shane Wise, Lucas W., Sean S., Sarah W., John R., David Bigwood, Kat L., Sarah M., and Eric B. Thank you all so much for sticking with us over the last year. Join the Fellowship of the Road by visiting patreon.com slash Road. When you join the Fellowship of the Road, it helps us to keep on evering on and lend you some cool perks along the way. Learn more at patreon.com slash Road. YouTube, hit that like button. Don't forget to subscribe and let us know what's on your mind in the comments below. All right. So on this episode, we are looking at the year one of the second age of the fall of Numenor. That is, of course, this amazing book right here beautiful, beautiful artifact that it is. And we're finally getting into the substance, right? To the meat, um, to the actual history of the fall of Numenor, all 3,500 years of it. And in this episode, we're covering the first year, Second Age One. This section pulls from several different sources in order to compile its material. Uh, Among these are the Lord of the Rings, the appendices of the Lord of the Rings, the Silmarillion, uh, history of Middle Earth, in particular, uh, the last volume of the History of Middle Earth, Volume Twelve, Unfinished Tales, and Tolkien's Letters. So, pulling from a lot of different sources to kind of kind of to lay the groundwork of this whole uh, history of Numenor that we're about to embark on. And it begins by telling us a little bit about the end of the First Age. So, let's um, let's look at the uh, text itself here. So, um, foundation of the Grey Havens and of Lindon. Um, this said the second age picks up continuous from where the Silmarillion ends, and so the Silmarillion ends with the destruction of Angband, the uh, overthrow of Morgoth, and the upheaval of the land of this really subcontinent of Beleriand, and um, 
so it's depicted in the image, the main image of this chapter, which you see right here. This image is by Alden Lee, and it's entitled The Host of the Valar Descendant Angband. And you can kind of see right here, right? You can see the host of the Valar descending down into this uh, like kind of dungeonous appearing place. That's what's being depicted is the the final uh, assault on Morgoth's stronghold at the end of the first age. So that's what we have. It picks up and and that's that's where it all ends. The Silmarillion. That's the very end of the Silmarillion. And now we're beginning into the the second age, year one. The first thing the chapter really talks about is the elves and what becomes of the elves at the end of the first age and beginning with the second age. Um, we hear some about this area called Lindon, and Lindon is what we would probably think of as the northwest of Middle Earth in the third age. Uh, Lindon is this area, so you know, just to kind of give you your bearings here. We have, uh, you can see here, if I zoom in a little bit. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. You can see that we've got Bree right here. We've got the Shire right here. We've got Rivendell kind of faintly right there. And if you keep going this way, you see the Grey Havens, right? You see the Tower Hills. And this region to the west of the Blue Mountains is the region of Lindon, right? For Lindon on the north, Har Lindon on the south. And if you imagine for yourself this whole area to the west, really we see a little island over here, the Tolfuin. This this region over here used to be the continent, the subcontinent of Beleriand. And if you look at the map of the first stage that's included in the Silmarillion, You'll see how this all makes sense. The Blue Mountains are on the uh, eastern border of Beleriand, and now they are the western border of the region that we're most familiar with of Eriador. Um, so this is where a lot of the elves that were involved in the uh, intrigues and the wars of the First Age, the ones who survived, a lot of them settled in this region initially at the beginning of the Second Age. And these elves are summoned to the Grey Havens to make the travel to the blessed, to make the journey to the Blessed Realm, um, back to the Blessed Realm. So many of them had left, had had self-exiled from uh, from the Blessed Realm uh, at the beginning of the First Age, and now they were headed back to the Blessed Realm. And let's look at the reason for this, uh, because it's kind of interesting, and it tells us a little bit about what was going on and, and even informs our understanding of, uh, of the rings of power. So, um, Tolkien says, There was nothing wrong, essentially, in the elves lingering against council, still sadly with the mortal lands of their old heroic deeds, but they wanted to have their cake without eating it. They wanted the peace and bliss and perfect memory of the West, and yet to remain on the ordinary earth where their prestige is the highest people— above wild elves, dwarves, and men, was greater than at the bottom of the hierarchy of Valinor. So there was nothing wrong, according to Tolkien, per se, with the elves wanting to stay. It was just that they had mixed, they had 
mixed motives. Um, they wanted to create their own blessed realm within Middle Earth, but the good thing about being creating their own blessed realm there for them was, in their minds, that, well, we get to be in charge over here because we have the greatest prestige. We're obviously these immortal beings amongst all of these mortal creatures. Um, you know, we, we, we know the things of the blessed realm. We've learned from the gods, the Valar, and now we're going to create our own little blessed realms over here. Um, that in their mind was better than going back to the blessed realm and kind of being at the bottom of the pecking order, if you will. Not, you know, it's the blessed realm. So how much of a pecking order can there really be? But there was, there is a hierarchy, right? There is a hierarchy and as blessed as that hierarchy may be, maybe they still viewed it as being, you know, over here, we can at least be in charge of our own destiny. So there's a little bit of an independent mindset, right? Going on with the elves that chose to stay behind. Um, so many of them, some, some do eventually make the journey, but many of them stay behind and continue to do elvish things, right? In, a, in the best sense of the word in Middle Earth and create these, you know, beautiful little kingdoms. Uh, we think of somewhere, somewhere like Rivendell. We think of somewhere like uh, Lorien, like Lothlorien eventually, right? Uh, these are kingdoms that are where the elves do their best work and create their own sorts of uh, little blessed realms within the unblessed realm of uh, Eriador and of the wider regions of Middle Earth. Um, so the chapter also speaks of some important elves. Um, among these are uh, are several familiar names. The first may not be too familiar to you, but you've likely heard of it. And once I make the connection, it'll all make sense. The first they mention is Thranduil. So Thranduil, you'll probably recognize, if you've seen uh, Peter Jackson's Hobbit movies, you would recognize him as one of the characters in there. He is the father of Legolas, the king of Mirkwood, right? The elvish king of Mirkwood. Uh, he's portrayed as kind of this haughty figure in that movie. Um, he migrates east here at the at early on in the second age, migrates east even over the Misty Mountains, right? Go back to our map here. Just kind of give you the lay of the land. He migrates east back uh, all the way from here uh, across Eriador over the Blue Mountains to Greenwood the Great, as it's known back then. Of course, we know it later on as uh, the Misty Mountains. Let me zoom out a little bit so you can see the whole thing. All right, so you see there, this is this is Mirkwood over here, Greenwood the Great in the Second Age. And he migrates over there and makes his own kingdom over there. Um, so Thranduil, yes, he is the father of Legolas, and his, uh, his story, uh, his lifetime ex uh, extends all the way back into the First Age. So, interesting note if you didn't already know that about Thranduil. Uh, another elf that you've likely heard of uh, and, and actually features in the uh, Rings of Power TV show is Gil-galad. He is the High King of the Noldor. So you might be run wondering, who are the Noldor? You may have heard this name before. <clears throat> it's not really spelled out for us in a lot of detail in the Lord of the Rings. Maybe we've heard a little... I can't remember if we've heard some about it in the TV show Rings of Power. Nevertheless, the Noldor are the main group of elves that self-exile from the Blessed Realm in the First Age. They, they journey from the Blessed Realm back to Beleriand, and they take on Morgoth. And they're the ones that really are obsessed with obtaining the Silmarils. They're led by Feanor initially. Feanor dies, and there are other people, other uh, Noldor, who become the High King of the Noldor. And eventually, in the Second Age, it is Gil-galad who is the High King of the Noldor. Um, so that's who the Noldor are. They're one of these three groups of, of 
the the early elves who are uh, summoned to Valinor and they make that final journey and they're amongst these blessed blessed elves, but they fall and they reject that blessedness um, in order to uh, get their vengeance against Morgoth and obtain for themselves the Silmarils. <clears throat> Other elves that are mentioned are Galadriel and Celeborn. Um, so we all know who Galadriel is, most likely. Um, and uh, Galadriel and then Celeborn is, of course, her uh, her husband. Uh, you'll know him from, especially from the uh, the Lord of the Rings. He has not been in the Rings of Power yet. Uh, he was not in the Rings of Power season one, was mentioned at one point in passing as being dead. We'll see. I doubt he's actually dead. Sorry for any spoilers, but he is most definitely in the Lord of the Rings. So uh, let's read a little bit about uh, the description of Galadriel here in the Second Age. Of Galadriel, it is said that she was strong of body, mind, and will, a match for both the lore masters and the athletes of the Eldar in the days of their youth. Even among the Eldar, she was accounted beautiful, and her golden hair was held a marvel unmatched. And the Eldar said that the light of the two trees, Laureline and Telperion, had been snared in her tresses. From her earliest years, she had a marvelous gift of insight into the minds of others, but judged them with mercy and understanding. So Galadriel is a, um, you know, you can kind of think of it as, um, uh, let me actually switch my camera there. There we go. You can kind of think of Galadriel as being one of probably Tolkien's proudest creations. He really, like, he didn't, she actually was a later introduction as an elf into the Legendarium, but after he introduced her, he really, like, spent a lot of time on her backstory and developing her, her participation in the history, even going back and kind of injecting her into the stories of the First Age. Um... And she really does. She's a very important character. She was obviously a very important character in Tolkien's mind. And, uh, you know, she was she was pretty amazing, as he has her described right here. I want to highlight, though, the the what he, how he talks about her her hair here. So uh, it says she was accounted beautiful and her golden hair was held a marvel unmatched. Um, they said the Eldar, the other elves, said that the light of the two trees, Laureline and Telperion, had been snared in her tresses. This is an important little note here, a really interesting note, if you will, because the Silmarils were the same thing was said of the Silmarils, right? That the light of the sum of the two trees was captured within the Silmarils, and that's why they gave off this beautiful, this beautiful radiance. Well, the only thing otherwise uh, that captured that same quality of the two trees, that light of the two trees, was apparently the the hair of Galadriel, right? So that says something to us about her beauty, about uh, maybe her stature as well. Um, and it's just something that's very interesting to note because of the role that the Silmarillions play in the Legendarium and that uh, Galadriel's hair is compared to uh, the Silmarillion and the Silmarils and the two trees in this way. All right. And then the uh, the the uh, last couple of elves I wanted to highlight um, are actually not full elves. They're half elven, Elrond and Elros. Um, now, Elros chooses a path that rejects uh, his elf heritage, if you will, or the... Uh, the immortality, right? The, the immortality aspect. Of course, he he remains descendant, having uh, elvish blood within him, but uh, he chooses the path of mortality and becomes the first king of Numenor. Um, Elrond is referred to frequently as the half-elven, and he is the of these two brothers, uh, the, the children of Eärendil and Elwing. Um, they, Elrond is the one that chooses to follow the elvish path and chooses immortality instead. Um, so they are important figures and will be very important figures in the stories of the second age. Um, why were they half elven? And, and let's, let's talk a little bit. This is really interesting. Let's talk a little bit about, 
uh, why the term half-elven isn't actually super precise uh, when it comes to them. All right. So going over to Tolkien Gateway, the ever-useful Tolkien Gateway. This is the family tree of Elrond and Elros here. So let me scroll down a little bit so you can get the a good picture. All right, so here's Elrond in the center of it, Elros and over here. You see they're both descended from Eärendil and Elwing. Well, we'll look at Eärendil's side first. So Eärendil is the, the son of Tuor and Idril. Tuor was a man, fully man, 100% man. Idril was a, a, an elf maiden. So Eärendil was indeed half-elven, right? He was indeed half-elven. Elwing, on the other hand, is not exactly half-elven. So let's follow the family tree back up, okay? So Nimloth. Nimloth, uh, elf, full elf. Uh, Elwing's mother, full elf, de descended from uh, Galathiel over here. Uh, so full elf on her mother's side, but on her father's side, her father is Dior. You might remember we talked a little about Dior in the last episode. Well, Dior is descended from Baron and Luthien. Baron was full man, okay? Luthien... Luthien was half elf and half goddess, half Maya. Melian, her mother, was a Maya, was an, was an actual goddess, and her father was an elf. So let's kind of follow this through. Luthien, half elf, half Maya. Baron, full man. Dior, what does that make him? Well, it makes him half man, quarter elf, quarter Maiar. Okay, so Elwing, what does that make Elwing? Let's see. Let's do the math here. So full elf on her mother's side, and then it gets complicated over here on Dior's side. I think it. I think it essentially adds up to um, five eighths elf for Elwing, uh, one eighth. Uh, no, wait. I'm sorry. One. Yeah, one eighth uh, Maiar and three eighths man for Elwing. Okay. And then you can only imagine from there, it gets complicated. But the important thing, you know, in all of this without doing all of the math and all of that for how much, you know, how much uh, Maya blood is there in uh, for Elrond and Elros is that we go down the family tree and there is a strain, this divine strain, right, that exists within the, uh, the heritage of Elrond and Elros, right, within their lines. So we can kind of look at this and say, oh, that's interesting. We've got Aragorn, right? It's eventually descended way down the history. is eventually descended from Elros. So Aragorn actually has some of this Maya blood within him, right? Small strain, but nevertheless, it's there. Same can be said of Arwen, right? So just an interesting little detail. Um, and it tells us again how important the story of Baron and Luthien is to, you know, understanding and kind of seeing how all of this is so beautifully woven together uh, by Tolkien. All right, and the last thing I want to mention is the founding of the Grey Havens. Um, you know, we know the Grey Havens from Lord of the Rings, and this is where the elves are summoned from, right, to make that trip back to the blessed blessed realm. All right, so let's look at this passage about the Grey Havens. Upon the shores of the Gulf of Loon, the elves built their havens and named them Mithlond, and there they held many ships, for the harborage was good. From the Grey Havens, the Eldar ever and anon set sail, fleeing from the darkness of the days of earth. For by the mercy of the Valar, the firstborn could still follow the straight road and return, if they would, to their kindred in Erisea and Valinor, beyond the encircling seas. So the Grey Havens were set up as 
uh, for this departure point to the Blessed Realm for the Elves. Of course, later on, figures, uh, other figures depart from there to the Blessed Realm as well. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. All right. Well, next time we'll be looking at year, beginning our look at year 32, which will probably take us a couple of episodes because there's a lot in that year to talk about, especially with regard to Numenor. But it's essentially the founding of Numenor. So we're going to be taking a, a close look at the founding of Numenor over the next several episodes and just more about what Tolkien had to say about the, the island of Numenor and what it was like. All right. Well, let's look at some correspondence. How about that? All right. Well, t- this week we're going to look at an interesting question from a patron, uh, Andrew M., that he sent this on January 9th. So Andrew's question has to do with the fate of Saruman. Uh, Andrew points out that there is this passage in The Return of the King. To the dismay of those that stood by about the body of Saruman, a gray mist gathered and rising slowly to a great height like smoke from a fire, as a pale shrouded figure it loomed over the hill. For a moment it wavered, looking to the west, but out of the west came a cold wind, and it bent away, and with a sigh dissolved into nothing. Andrew says, We assume that means that Valar rejected his spirit in returning to the west in the halls of Mondos to be judged. So what happens to him? Nothing? The void? Barrow White, maybe? Rome Middle-earth as a spirit? There's more than likely something I haven't read, but I haven't seen it or heard about it, and I am real curious. Thank you. It's a great question, and um, I'm not exactly sure, you know, what the best answer uh, is to this question. But the thing that strikes me is that uh, Saruman's fate is very similar to Sauron's fate, uh, as depicted in Lord of the Rings. So let me read what it says about Sauron's fate in Lord of the Rings. The realm of Sauron is ended, said Gandalf. The ring bearer has fulfilled his quest. And as the captains gazed south to the land of Mordor, it seemed to them that black against the pall of cloud there rose a huge shape of shadow, impenetrable, lightning-crowned, filling all the sky. Enormous, it reared above the world and stretched out towards them a vast, threatening hand, terrible but impotent. For even as it leaned over them, a great wind took it, and it was all blown away and passed. And then a hush fell. So, you know, I look at the fate of Saruman, and it's very similar to me of what happens to Sauron, right? It's kind of this initial, you know, this smoke, angry smoke kind of rising up, and it looks ominous, and it looks like it's going to do something else, and then it's just kind of blown away, right? Now, in Saruman's case, he looks towards the west. It, almost, it describes him. It almost sounds like he's kind of like longing, like like almost repentant, wanting to go there. Sauron, not so much, right? Sauron looks like he's ready to strike another bl- blow, and then he gets blown away, right? Just like this this mist that vanishes. Yeah, you know, um, why wouldn't they return to the halls of Mondos to be judged? Well, I don't know that that was the fate of these divine beings to be judged by Mondos, necessarily. I know that that was the fate of the elves. Um, The elves were, uh, when they died, uh, they would pass to the halls of Mondos, and uh, and there they they would reside to be judged. And I could be wrong about this, but I'm not sure, you know, we, we don't really get that precedent for for Valar and Maya, because in theory, like nothing like that should happen to them because they're not tied to their bodies in the same way that elves and men are tied to their bodies. Right. Um, 
they put on bodies as if they were just like kind of clothing, like we might put on clothing and they can take, take that clothing off if they want. Now there's something to be said about uh, what happens to these figures as they uh, do more evil in, in the guys and like kind of in their bodies. And it kind of becomes more and more a part of them in that way. But even then, um, you know, I'm not really sure that that was, we, we just don't have much precedent for saying that like they, that that's what's going to happen to them. For example, Morgoth, we know he's shut beyond the walls of the world at the end of the first age. Um, you know, exactly what that looks like. We're not sure, but that's what happens to him. So I don't know that Ma, it was up to Mondos necessarily to judge these divine beings. It almost makes me wonder that, like think that for the divine beings, that their judgment was ultimately in the hands of uh, Iluvatar himself, right? Um, so it could be that uh, that with Sauron and Saruman, they're, they're kind of the essence of who they were is kind of like dissipated, you know, throughout the world. So I, I guess I prefer sort of a, um, an idea of that they're just, they're dissipated, right? Their power is dissipated. Now, maybe they've got some kind of like, you know, vastly reduced ability to still do evil throughout the world, but it's very, it's not concentrated in the, in the same power that it was before necessarily. Um, they're almost like, you know, like, like kind of the Barrowites or like these wraithish figures right now. Um, that, that answer seems to make a lot of sense to me. Like they're just kind of this mist, this further disembodied mist that's floating throughout the world. Um, I don't make too much of the word nothing there. I think nothing is just, you know, kind of how it's perceived. Right. Uh, but the important thing is that neither of them really have uh, any power on the level that they did before, right? The, both of these figures, Sauron, Sauron, both being very powerful figures, no longer having the power on the level that they did before. So that's my take on it, Andrew. It's a really interesting question. Um, you know, it's one of those I'd love to ask Tolkien if he was available to us to ask. Uh, but I think, you know, I, I feel pretty, I feel pretty good about that answer, you know, that, that they're not, um, that they're not, necessarily fated to go to Mondos for judgment like elves would be. Now, again, maybe I'm wrong. Could be a big, uh, could be a big legendarium fail right there, but that's my take on it. So let me know uh, if anybody has further feedback, would love to, uh, to, to be shown further information that would help get to the bottom of this question. Thanks a lot, Andrew. Really appreciate you. All right. Well, that's it for this episode. Please leave us a five-star rating wherever you listen to podcasts and drop us a line. You can correspond with us in a number of ways, YouTube, TolkienRoad.com, email at TolkienRoadPodcast at gmail.com, or on Twitter at TolkienRoad. Wherever you can find us, we'll do our best to respond to you somehow and at some point. All right. Thank you to our amazing patrons, especially the following. John R., Caitlin of T with Tolkien, Jacob Lockham, John H., Eru27, Emilio P., Jonathan D., Mike M., Robert H., Paul D., Julia, Wordy, Joe Bagelman, Jacob S., Richard K., Matt R., Matthew W., Garrett P., Chris K., John W., Eugene D., Chris B., Daniel S., Seb M., Shana Supreme, Ms. Anonymous, Andrew T., Red Hawk, Shannon S., Brian O., Zeke F., James L., Chris L., Chuck F., Aja V., Ish of the Hammer, Teresa C., David of Pints with Jack, Eric B., and Johanna T. All right. Thank you all so much for your support. Truly appreciate all of our patrons. And thanks to everybody for watching and or listening. We will talk at you next time. Bye-bye.